0: Hey everybody, before I dive into this episode, I do just want to let you know that there was a big update on this case on Thursday, March 17th, St. Patrick's Day, and I recorded this episode on Wednesday, March 16th, the day before. So before you dive in, just know that I recorded this a day before this big update in the case, and I am adding the update to the case at the end of the episode. It The update itself doesn't change any of the... Like information in the episode, but just know that to fully understand this case, you need to listen to the end because this case is rapidly changing. There could be more changes just within a couple days after this episode is published. So, this episode includes up to date information through Thursday, March 17th, 2022. I am definitely probably going to put out an update episode if and when this case concludes, but When you're listening, this episode includes the important update that came out on Thursday, March 17th. And with that, let's dive in. Hello, I'm Alec, and this is Scandal 101. Happy belated St. Patrick's Day, which in America for many people is basically just an excuse to drink too much beer and get messy on a weeknight, so (laughs) if that was you, I hope you don't have a hangover, and I also hope that if you are going to go out and celebrate St. Patrick's Day, you actually maybe do five minutes of research and understand what it's actually about, because it's not about getting drunk. Alrighty, I hope you are having a good day so far whenever you're listening. If you're listening after the day this episode comes out, happy whatever day it is to you. And in terms of a scandal update, I read an article today talking about in Albuquerque, New Mexico, there is a continuing abuse of overtime pay with the police department there. And basically this case boiled down to a nutshell was there were officers and detectives who were reporting false overtime. So they would be paid a time and a half rate where they hadn't actually been working overtime. So a lot of money from the department's budget and a lot of money being allocated to this police department was being wrongly paid out to people who were trying to pay the system, and since it is a publicly funded system, the police department, there is a lot of trouble coming down with them. So it'll be interesting to see what happens on that to see if people are fired, if there are changes being implemented, we shall see. So that is one scandal I saw on the news recently. There are always lots of scandals going on, but that's just the one I saw recently, Before I dive into today's topic, I just want to say before I jump in, I am trying to present this case in the most objective way possible based on articles, research, court documents that I could find. It is a very heated topic, it is still going to be continuing even though there is kind of a resolution in this case. I'm going to talk about at the end what the current status of this case is, but I just wanted to say that going in that yes, I am going to interject my opinions throughout this case, but the information itself I'm going to try to present in the most objective way possible, and I'll let you know when I'm going to interject my opinions, just so that way you can make up your mind as to what actually happened, because I think there is good arguments on both sides. This is Jesse Smollett's Hate Crime Hoax. The sources that I used for this episode, as always, are linked in the show notes and are on the website. I watched an interview he did with ABC News, the Hill article by Jay Bowden, a NPR article by V. Romo and B. Chapel, a couple of New York Times articles, S. Deb was a common author in both, and then there were some co-authors in there as well. I used two U.S. magazine articles, I used a, another NPR article by Jay Franklin and D. Shivaram, a Jesse Smollett's Wikipedia page to get some background information on him, and then a Guardian article by M. Yang. Starting off this case is a saying that is often associated with this scandal that I've seen is, all press is good press. But maybe not. In this case, it really shows that if the result standing as of now is true, all press is not good press. This episode is about Jesse Smollett, and to get some background information on Jesse, Jesse was born on June 21st, 1982, and he is an actor and a singer. He started acting when he was a kid. You can see him in things when he was little, such as The Mighty Ducks. When he was growing up, he grew up with three brothers and two sisters, and unfortunately had a semi absent father. His mother is African American, and his father is Jewish and Jesse said that his father would say that he would, quote, kill you if you called him white, end quote. I don't have much other information on the father other than what was briefly on the Wikipedia page for Jesse. The father is really not an important part of the story, but that's really all I could find about him. Jesse, he grew up in Los Angeles starting around age 7, and after graduating high school, he told his parents that at the age of 19, he was gay. So Jesse Smollett, he's a black man and at 19 he came out as gay. Um, He then was working as an actor and a model and when he finally got a big break in 2014. He was cast as Jamal Lyon, a gay musician trying to get the approval of his father in the very popular show Empire. His role on the TV show, it received praise for his positive portrayal of a black gay man And then while acting, he was also recording some music, and some of that music was on on the soundtrack of the show Empire. He had been acting and modeling before Empire, but now this is like his, woohoo, I'm famous, look at me, I love being famous, thank you so much. (laughs) On top of everything he was doing, he was also pretty active in advocating for different social causes, such as civil rights and... Uh, different causes regarding AIDS. He was outspoken and advocated for Black Lives Matter. He released a song about white male privilege while taking aim at the Trump administration, and he was often seen at different rallies. He was very, very outspoken about Trump and his disdain for his administration. And in one of the interviews I watched with him, he even said that he He was like, yeah, I'm not a fan of 45, referring to President Trump, so very, very social, justice-oriented, civil rights-oriented, left-leaning, not a fan of Trump. So, for many people, Jesse was a hero. In real life, he was an out, gay, black man, advocating for civil rights and social change. And on TV, he was portraying an out gay black man and he was portraying this person on TV in like a positive light. So for many people, he was someone to look up to and at the same time, for many people, their view of Jesse as a hero was about to change. What I'm going to talk about next is an account coming from Jesse himself during an interview with ABC News. On the night, or I guess the early morning of January 29th, 2019, around 2 a.m., Jesse was in Chicago. He was picked up by his creative director, and then they went back to his apartment. And from my understanding, it was a creative director's apartment, but not 100% sure. But they went back to an apartment, and when they got there, there was no food. So Jesse was like, hey, I'm going to go out, I'm going to get something to eat. So he went to a nearby Walgreens and he thought that the Walgreens was 24 hours, he was gonna run in get some food, but he was wrong, it was closed. But luckily, nearby there was a subway, so he started to head that way. When Jesse was inside the subway, he was getting their order, and he texted his manager, which, not the same as his creative director, And Jesse created, or texted his manager, he did so because he thought his manager was in Australia on tour with one of his other clients, so he would have been up, so in Jesse's mind he was probably like, even though it's 2am in Chicago, this person's in Australia, he'll be up, so I can text him. He asked his manager to call him immediately, and so his manager did, and they were on the phone. He's on his phone with the manager, leaving the subway, and as he leaves the subway, he's crossing the street, and he hears someone yell, Empire. Jesse doesn't answer, and in the interview, he's like, that's not my name, I don't respond to that, so I just kept walking. And then Jesse heard, quote, F word, Empire, N word, end quote. And then the F word being derogatory term for gay people, N word, derogatory term for black people. After hearing this, Jesse turned around and he's like, what did you just say to me? Jesse says in the interview that he saw the attacker and his attacker was wearing a ski mask. And then the attacker said, quote, this is MAGA country, N word, end quote. And then he punched or the attacker punched Jesse in the face. So Jesse, at this point, he punches the attacker back and they start fighting. And remember, it's January in Chicago, so it's icy out. And then for behind Jesse, a second person starts kicking him in the back. Jesse said that the attack, it soon stopped. He said it maybe lasted like 30 seconds. It was pretty quick. Um, but the two men, they stopped attacking him and then the two men ran off. And Jesse also said that his phone had fallen out of his pocket. My guess is maybe he would like had headphones and was talking to his manager on the phone. Not very sure, but his phone was out of his pocket and then his manager was still on the phone. So he gets back on the phone and he's like, I was just attacked. And Jesse looks down to see a rope around his neck. He said that he originally didn't notice a rope because the attack was so fast, things were happening, it was chaotic, and when he saw the rope after the attack, he just started freaking out because, of course, you were attacked and there's a rope around your neck. About his two attackers, he said that other than really the general stature of the two people who attacked him, he didn't really notice anything super distinguishing about them since they were wearing a ski mask. It was also 2 a.m. in Chicago, so it was probably kind of dark. Who knows how many streetlights were around there? Jesse said that originally he hesitated to call the police, he said that part of the, his hesitation was pride, and that the other part of it was that society considers gay men to be automatically weak, and he was like, I'm not weak. He said, quote, I am not weak, and we as a people are not weak, end quote partially that pride aspect and then also partially privacy because while this horrific thing did happen, he is a famous actor on a well-known show and obviously if police get involved, it is going to be this huge thing. But eventually he did call the police, it was reported and it took about 30 to 40 minutes for the police to respond. So as Jesse was waiting for the police to respond, he was checking himself for injuries, he had some marks on his face from being punched and he had a rope mer- rope burn around his neck, and then he said, I started to smell bleach. Jesse said he looked down, and his sweatshirt had marks on it, like if you have a bad bleach job, and he was like, oh my gosh, these people threw bleach on me as well. About the rope around Jesse's neck, he said that the rope wasn't tight enough to be choking him, and he kept the rope on while he was waiting for the police so he had his sweatshirt on that had the bleach stains on it and he had the rope around his neck and he said the reason he kept the rope around his neck was that he wanted the police to see how it was like after he discovered it which some people think as suspicious because if something that traumatic happens to you wouldn't you want to get the rope off But at the same time, other people are like, well, he was preserving evidence, he didn't want to mess with it. And I think both sides make a good point. I can't even imagine how one would feel in that situation. And I've also thought about this, like, I've listened to so many true crime podcasts, so many different things that if I were to come upon a crime scene, even if it was someone who I cared about, like a family, partner, close friend, if I like came in and just saw them brutally murdered, I think my, like a lot of people in these stories, they run up to their friend, they make sure they're okay, all that stuff. I honestly don't think that would be my first reaction because I would know I cannot contaminate this crime scene, assuming I had nothing to do with it, which I'm not planning on murdering anyone just so everyone knows. But if I came across this horrible murder scene of someone that I truly care about my first reaction would be to call 911 and not go up to them unless the 911 operator told me to because I wouldn't want to contaminate it. And I think a lot of people would look at that and be like, You see your best friend dead on the floor in a pile of blood and you're not going to go up to them. And my response would be, No, I'm not going to contaminate this crime scene, especially because I didn't do it. So I think a lot of people would see that as suspicious. But also, I mean, if you're in a true crime, you might see that as, Well, If you've heard it so many times not to contaminate a crime scene, you're probably not going to do that. And so people who believe Jussie is, well, he didn't want to take it off. He didn't want to ruin any potential evidence that was on there. But people who are against him are like, um, bro, if you're saying you were just attacked, you had bleach thrown on you and you had a rope around your neck, why would you keep that on? Good arguments for both sides. When police do respond, it it sounds like, based on what I read, that Jesse had gone back to the apartment because he said that he had asked for the officers to turn off their body cameras and to come out of the apartment hallway and into the apartment. Why he wanted the body cameras to come off, again, seems a little strange to me, but at the same time, he's a Hollywood actor so maybe he didn't want this camera footage of him. My thought to that is that no matter who you are or what happens to you, why wouldn't you want footage of police interviewing you, police questioning you, because then if there's any questions about what was asked, about what you said, what police said, you can just go back to the tape. To me, it's a little suspicious that the body cameras were asked to be turned off, but maybe I can understand it, but I lean a little more towards the suspicion on that side. So he wasn't wanting to make a big scene, that's why he invited the officers into his apartment because it was early in the morning, probably close to 3am at this time. He then, after they interviewed him in the apartment, he then took the officers back to the scene of where it happened. When he was going there, he was showing them where it happened, explaining, and they were just kind of looking around and... They looked up and they saw that there was a street camera on a light post basically right above where this happened. So he and the officers were probably thinking like, heck yeah, bingo, like there's a camera right there, it's going to catch everything. Unfortunately, the camera was facing north, the opposite direction of the attack, so the attack itself was not caught on camera. Which had to be just so frustrating, probably for Jesse and for the investigators as well. That night, or that morning, Jesse did go to the hospital, he took himself there though and he was released in good condition, so even though he was injured, he had some marks on his face, he had the rope burn around his neck, he wasn't severely injured from what I could find, there wasn't any broken bones, there wasn't any internal damage, it was more just surface damage, I think I read somewhere where he kinda has a scar under one of his eyes now, but nothing too permanently damaging. After news of this attack came out, there was an outcry of support from celebrities, his fans, people were tweeting at him, just expressing outrage that this attack happened and that they cared about him and that they hoped he was okay. And even though he was super outspoken about President Trump, President Trump was asked about the attack and President Trump said that the attack was horrible and that it, quote, doesn't get worse, end quote. Jesse, in regards to this, he was getting support and he was silent for a few days, probably processing everything that happened, but then on February 1st, he said, quote, Despite my frustration and deep concern with certain inaccuracies and misrepresentations that have been spread, I still believe that justice will be served. End quote. The reason why Jesse was frustrated is because shortly after the news broke about Jesse's attack, there was some doubt starting to swirl about this whole situation. On January 31st, it was reported that Jesse and his manager refused to turn over their cell phones to police for the investigation, and the police said that the reason why we want the phones is because you are saying that you were on the phone at the time of attack and maybe we could get some valuable information from the phone. And to that I say, yeah, that makes sense. But then Jesse said that he didn't want to give over his phone because of private information, photos, videos, contacts, etc. He's a high profile person. And to that I can also say, yeah, that's reasonable because phones house a lot of private data norm uh, for people so especially if you're famous like that if any information got out that's a huge thing for the press you don't want people's phone numbers to leak whatever so I see that but I also see the police's perspective of like well okay you're on the phone just if you let us look at the phone and get some records from it quick then it'll be good to go. Jesse didn't give up his phone the manager didn't give up his phone but eventually it was it was reported that Jesse did give over some phone records, but the phone records were heavily redacted. Maybe they were redacted to the point of where only the necessary information was there. But in theory, if you have nothing to hide, why are you redacting information? People see that as, again, he's a celebrity, but at the same time, even if you're a celebrity, if you have nothing to hide about this hate crime, what's going on? Why are you redacting stuff? So there was some more doubt around this whole situation because while Jesse was at the hospital, there were police officers there that were talking to him, and one officer said that Jesse described to this officer that one of his attackers was white and was a white man. Jesse said that even though he couldn't see any distinguishing features, he was able to see the color of their skin based on the gap near their eyes in the ski mask, Like if you think of a ski mask, obviously there's a little bit of skin exposed and like if it's an across the face eye hole, there's, you would probably be able to see the bridge of the nose. And so the officer's like, yeah, Jesse told me that this person was white because he was able to see the skin there. And he also seemed to confirm that this person was white in the ABC interview. He didn't come right out and say it, but he did say in the interview that, quote, if I had said that it was a Muslim or a Mexican or someone black, I feel like the doubters would have supported me a lot much more, a lot more, end quote. And so to me, that's saying like, okay, you're not saying that, or you're confirming that you don't think it was a Muslim, you don't think it was a Mexican, or you don't think it was someone black, that opens some possibilities left, but that kind of confirms the statement that you probably told the officers that this person was white, and in the interview you're saying, it's not these three groups of people, white people, not eliminated, still a big possibility. Okay, kind of confirmed. Around the same time of this interview from which I just quoted from, the interview took place on February 14th, 2019, There were rumors starting to go around that he was being written off of the show empire, but Fox released a statement saying that they continued to stand behind Jesse, and that Jesse continued to quote, be a consummate professional on set, end quote. And it was also starting around February 14th that local news outlets around Chicago started to report that this could possibly all be a hoax. There is finally a break in the case on February 15th, when authorities arrest two brothers, Abimbola Asundario, who goes by Abel, and Ola Binjo Osundario, who goes by Ola in the articles. So these two brothers are arrested, but in a surprising turn, the brothers were released without charge. They were in police custody for around 48 hours, and after the release, the spokesperson for the Chicago Police Department said, quote, Due to new evidence as a result of today's interrogations, the individuals questioned by police in the Empire case have now been released without charging and detectives have additional investigative work to complete. End quote. And then the next day, again, the Chicago PD spokesperson said, quote, We can confirm that the information received from the individuals questioned by police earlier in the Empire case has in fact shifted the trajectory of the investigation. End quote. Lawyers for Jesse, they said that they were angered that this was taking place. Jesse's lawyers also said, quote, one of these purported suspects was Je- Jesse's personal trainer who he hired to ready him physically for a music video. It is impossible to believe that this person could have played a role in the crime against Jesse or would falsely claim Jesse's complicity, end quote. On February 20th, so just about a month after this whole thing had allegedly happened, Jesse is charged with a felony disorderly conduct charge regarding the police report he filed, and then the next day, Jesse was arrested. He posted bail, and he got out, and then on the day of his arrest, Chicago police say that the actor staged his own assault because he was upset about his salary on Empire. At the time, he was apparently earning around sixty-five dollars to $100,000 per episode from some reports, and from people close to the show and close to Jesse, They were like, well, he hadn't raised objections about his pay, so we don't really understand what's going on with that. So, despite these doubts, police theorize that Jesse was unsatisfied with his pay, and part of the reason why they thought this is because of a letter that Jesse received a few days before the attack. Jesse received this letter at the Chicago studio where Empire was filmed and the letter, inside the letter it was laced with a white powder which was later determined to be crushed ibuprofen and the letter in part said, quote, Smollett, Jesse, you will die black, end quote, and it also had gay slurs. The letter also had a stick figure hanging from a noose, a gun pointed at the figure and the acronym MAGA on it. Police said that he had sent the letter to himself and he was dissatisfied with how the studio handled it and so because of this, he was going to then stage an attack on himself. At this point in my research, it was kind of like that doesn't seem like a lot to go on, but we'll keep going and see how you feel about it. So talking about the two brothers, they were struggling financially and they were also trying to become actors as well. From police and court records, from Jesse's arrest, the documents, those documents said that he had paid the brothers $3,500 by check and then also gave them around $100 to buy the materials needed for the attack. Police said that They even planned the neighborhood, they found a camera that they thought the attack would be recorded by but remember the camera was facing the wrong way but police were like well they chose this specific spot because of that camera and even though the camera was facing the wrong way that was unintentional they were hoping it would be on the camera just by unfortunate luck it was facing the wrong way. Jesse's lawyers and Jesse at this point they continue to maintain his innocence and on March 8th Jesse was indicted by a grand jury of on 16 counts of disorderly conduct mainly dealing with the fact that he falsely reported to the police the crime and the hate crime but just 3 weeks later all of the charges were dropped the Cook County State's Attorney's office said quote after reviewing all of the facts and circumstances of the case, including Mr. Smollett's volunteer service in the community and agreement to forfeit his bond to the city of Chicago, we believe that this is a just disposition and appropriate resolution to the case. End quote. So to me that quote says okay, basically, we don't want to go forward with these charges and Jesse seems to have agreed to community service, so we're good to go. And to me, that kind of seems suspicious, and apparently it seems suspicious to other people because a source revealed that the FBI was looking into the charges being dropped. Quote, There is an active federal investigation into how the actor received an unusually favorable plea deal. Basically, there is a probe to decide whether or not foul play was involved in his bargain with prosecutors, end quote. And to me, that's why I thought it was a little suspicious, because how come this person who had 16 charges up against him all of a sudden got them dropped seemingly because he was willing to do community service? Regardless, I mean, to me, that just shouts economic privilege that because you're rich and famous, you get to get off with no charges. Again, my opinion, and apparently the FBI found it, according to that one source, the FBI found it suspicious as well. So that was going on, and then it was decided in June of 2019, so remember, this is all happening within 2019. It was decided in June 2019 that a special prosecutor be appointed to the case to independently investigate if Jesse had staged the attack, and also to investigate why the prosecutors decided to drop the charges against him. This came after Kim Fox, who is the Cook County State's Attorney, decided to separate herself from the investigation after receiving much criticism for being too harsh with the charges and then also apparently communicating with one of Jesse's family members. And when talking about charging too much, one of the articles I read talked about how you can have a pedophile receive ten charges, but in this case, Jesse received sixteen. And I believe Kim Fox, in one interview, said that just because you can charge something doesn't mean you have to charge something. So there was an investigation into was the was the uh, prosecutor being too harsh in this case, and then also was this staged. So just to recap, where we are at this stage. Jesse Smollett had been had 16 charges brought against him. The case is still being investigated, but at this point in the story, there are no charges against Jesse Smollett. That is until February 11th, 2020, when a grand jury indicted Jesse on six counts of disorderly conduct and accused him of lying to the police about the attack. And of course, Jesse pleads not guilty to this, and he is released without bail. In the meantime of Jesse being charged and before the trial starts, later that year in August of 2020, the investigation into how the case was first handled and again, how how he was charged, why were the charges dropped, this investigation revealed that the office did not violate the law in the handling of the case, but the office did abuse its discretion in deciding to drop the charges and put out false or misleading statements about why it did so. From this investigation, it kind of seemed like, okay, office, you kind of maybe didn't do the greatest job and what you did was kind of questionable, but you didn't violate the law, so just don't do it again. That was my takeaway from that investigation. And finally, we get to the part that everyone looks forward to in a big case like this, the trial. At trial, the brothers, they were used to testify for the prosecution. One of the brothers, Abel, he said that the two brothers took part in the hoax. He said that the request came after Jesse had received the threatening letter. Abel said that Jesse texted him and that Jesse needed help, quote, on the low, end quote. Abel said that when the brothers met with Jesse, he, Jesse was angry about the studio's response to the letter and that, quote, He said he wanted me to beat him up. I looked puzzled, and then he explained he wanted me to fake beat him up, end quote. And then Abel also said that, quote, He wanted me to tussle and throw him to the ground and give him a bruise while my brother Ola would pour bleach onto him and put a rope around him and then we would run away, end quote. And so Abel, he sang this at trial, and this is what... Was What was revealed to police while the brothers were originally arrested back in 2019, the brothers had told the police that, yeah, this whole thing was staged and Jesse, like, had us in on it, so that's why the brothers were released without charge, because the officers were like, hmm... Let's look into this. During the trial, some more background on the brothers and then Jesse's relationship, Abel had said that he had been friends with Jesse since 2017 and that he felt indebted to Jesse because Jesse had helped helped him get a role as a stand-in for a main character on Empire. So it wasn't like these brothers and Jesse didn't know each other, they had known each other for at least two years before this attack. They said that Jesse gave him a $100 bill to buy supplies, including ski masks, rope, and a red hat to make it seem like they were supporters of President Trump, because I'm sure as many people remember, the red hat with Make America Great Again is like the iconic symbol of President Trump and his supporters. And remember that there was also this $3,500 check that Jesse had made out to Abel, but the defense said that the check, like, yes, the check existed, yes, Jesse wrote a check to Abel, but the check was for physical training. Because it was true, and Abel testified to the fact that at the time he had been helping Jesse with diet and fitness plans, but Abel said that he was going to do that stuff for free because he thought that they were friends. So the prosecution is saying this check was used to pay for the services of faking the hate crime, but the defense is saying no, this check was for paying for fitness and meal stuff that the brothers were good at that they were doing because the brothers were like physical trainers, they were workouts, so like they were very knowledgeable in this stuff and it wouldn't have been weird to write a check for someone to help with those services. Jesse's defense attorney also said that the text that Jesse had sent to one of the brothers, the quote on the low text, end quote, it was in reference to getting herbal steroids from Nigeria where the brothers were planning to travel. And that was also true that the brothers were planning to travel to Nigeria. So the defense is like, okay, well, even if he sent this text that he was wanting help on the low, it was because he was wanting these supplements, these steroids, not because he was wanting to plan a hate crime. Abel was asked on the stand if the fact that Jesse was gay had affected their friendship, and Abel was like, no, and that in fact, at one point, he had gone with Jesse to a gay bathhouse in Chicago, so the fact that Jesse was gay, like, had no impact on their friendship. The defense focused on uh, a couple of things, but one big thing that they focused on were drugs and guns that were found in the brother's house. But the guns were all legally owned and obtained and there were valid gun licenses. So the defense is like, look at all these guns they have. But then the prosecution is like, okay, they have guns, but they have licenses. They're valid to own them. Like you can have guns. So not a great argument. The police did also find a quote, very small amount end quote of cocaine in the apartment. I don't really know how much (laughs) that speaks to the brother's being guilty of something like not that cocaine is like oh it's just cocaine but like it I don't understand its relevance in this case my guess is it was probably trying to be used as like character evidence but it was a very small amount of cocaine it wasn't like they were wheeling and dealing in drugs based on the evidence that they could find so who knows Ola the other brother had been convicted of an assault several years before and he was not allowed to own guns but from From everywhere in the research I could tell, all of the guns were Abel's, so even though Ola wasn't allowed to own guns, it seems like all of the guns in the apartment were registered and owned by Abel. One of the detectives testified that at the hospital, Jesse had said that one of his attackers was white, which is what we talked about earlier, and then another detective said that Jesse had told that detective a few weeks after the attack that the attacker was pale-skinned, not white. The detective reminded Jesse that he had said before that the attacker was white and not pale-skinned, and Jesse apparently responded that the attacker had, quote, acted like he was white, end quote. I don't really know what acting like he was white would have to do in a hate crime context other than, like, maybe just committing the hate crime, but anybody can commit a hate crime, so I don't really know what Jesse meant by that, but that was coming from one of the detectives, so... Who really knows on that one? But that was uh, what one of the te- detectives said that Jesse had said. Jesse, he went on the stand and he adamantly denied that he had anything to do with the attack other than being the victim. Jesse said that a few days before the attack, he had picked up Abel to go work out and that Ola came along. He said that they did circle the area around where the attack had happened, but it wasn't to plan the attack. And eventually, he canceled the workout because Ola came along when he originally wasn't invited and it was just kind of weird. So Jesse was apparently like, yeah, no, let's just cancel this. I do think it's interesting that, it, that Jesse does seem to admit that they drove around the area, but Jesse's like, no, it wasn't to plan the hate crime. It was just because we were driving around. In my opinion, if you're driving around the area and you happen to be hate crimed in that area, a couple days later, by the two brothers who are apparently in the car with you? To me, that looks really suspicious, but Jesse said, nope, that's not what happened. During cross-examination of Jesse, there were inconsistencies pointed out in Jesse's testimony, such as whether Jesse had sent private, me- private messages confirming the time of the alleged attack, and if his attackers were white. Jesse said to the lawyer, quote, Mr. Webb, with all due respect, you don't understand Instagram, end quote. And then Mr. Webb said back, quote, look at me, I'm old, I don't understand Instagram, just answer my question, end quote. Jesse also denied sending messages after Webb showed Jesse messages that he had sent to Abel the night before the attack, and Jesse said, if you say so, sir, which it's like, if there is a lawyer being like, Did you send messages to this person? And you're like, no. And then the lawyer's like, well, we have these screenshots that you sent the messages to the people. And then you're like, well, if you say so. It's like, you just lied. (laughs) What? Not really understanding what the strategy was with that, but okay. So about Jesse changing his description of his attackers from white to pale skinned, Jesse said that it was the responsible thing to do, quote, I didn't want to make the assumption that they were white. So I said, let me change that and just say that they were pale skinned." End quote. I, I don't really understand that perspective. I don't know. I guess you could be pale skinned and not white, but to me, white and pale skin are generally the same thing. And I also don't think it's irresponsible to say that you think they were white. If you think you saw your attacker and you thought they were white, You can say they're white, you don't, like, I don't really understand that part, but he felt like it was a responsible thing to do, so that's what he did. And then, during the trial about the brothers, Jesse said that, quote, they are liars, end quote. The trial concluded, and in December of 2021, Jesse was found guilty of felony disorderly conduct. The jury deliberated for just over nine hours, and he was found guilty on five of the six charges that he faced and based upon his crimes and the ones he was found guilty upon, he could have faced up to three years in prison. The attorney for the two brothers, they said that they feel vindicated by the verdict, she said that the brothers' names, they had been dragged through the mud, and that, quote, it doesn't feel good when it's on a national and international stage, end quote. This case is also just super-duper recent because on March 10th, 2022, so just about a week ago, Jesse was sentenced to serve 150 days in jail, so about 5 months, and then 30 months of felony probation. He, during this felony proba- probation, he would be able to travel. He was also ordered to pay a fine of $25,000 and more than $120,000 in restitution to the city of Chicago. During Jesse's sentencing, he stood up and shouted that he was not suicidal, that he was innocent and that he didn't do it, and if anything happened to him in jail, he didn't do it to himself. To me, that's a little dramatic because it's not like you're the, you're not Christine Maxwell, like you are not potentially someone who is covering up all these politician things, like based on the jury's verdict, you faked a hate crime, so I don't know. I guess maybe because jail can be a dangerous place, maybe he wanted to say that, but to me, it seems dramatic. During the sentencing, the judge also had some harsh words for Jesse. Jesse said, or the judge, excuse me, the judge said that he believed that Jesse had done it more for attention rather than his salary. He also said that, quote, I believe you have done a real damage to hate crimes, to hate crime victims, end quote. He also said that Jesse showed a side of him that is quote, profoundly selfish and narcissistic, end quote. His defense lawyers said that he, Jesse, shouldn't go to prison because the actor already suffered enough because of the loss of his acting career. And to that I say, boo-hoo. Based on the evidence, you were found guilty. Based on the evidence, the jury thought that you faked this hate crime and filed false police reports. Just because your actions, based on the jury's verdict, Led to the end of your career doesn't mean you don't go to jail. So, Jesse, he is currently now in jail, and this case will likely be ongoing because Jesse's defense lawyers filed a notice of appeal. And to keep up with this case and what's going on, his family is running his Instagram account and they're posting messages of support. They're urging for people to call and request for Jesse to be released. They're saying that it's unfair he's in jail, stuff like that. His mom posted this on Instagram, and I'm going to read it and I'm going to share my thoughts. (laughs) This is what she posted. She said, quote, I am not here to debate you on his innocence, but we can agree that the punishment does not fit the crime. Emmett Till was brutally beat and murdered because of a lie, and none of the people involved with his demise spent one day in jail, even after Carolyn Bryant admitted that her claims were false. No one was hurt or killed during Jesse's ordeal. He has already lost everything, everything. To me, as an artist, not being able to create, that itself is punishment enough. He can't get a job, no one in Hollywood will hire him, and again, as an artist who loves to create, that is prison. My prayer is that he is freed and put on house arrest and probation because in this case, it would seem fair. Please, hashtag free Jesse. end quote. This post makes me so mad for two reasons. One, how dare you compare this case to Emmett Till? Emmett Till, a 14-year-old black boy, was horrifically murdered by three awful men and the reason he was murdered was because a white woman lied. In this case, in Jesse's case, based on the jury's verdict and based on the evidence, Your son staged a hate crime and played on a tense topic of race to apparently gain attention or to get more money. Regardless of his motivations, based on the evidence, your son was found guilty. Your son is healthy, your son is alive, your son is in jail but where you can go visit him every day, and it's not like he was thrown in jail without a trial. He was thrown in jail after a trial, After evidence, he testified himself, and the jury found him guilty. I'm not saying our justice system is perfect, I'm not saying that there are problems with our justice system, but the fact that you are comparing this case to Emmett Till just shows how tone-deaf that this mother is, and I understand it's upsetting that your son is in jail, especially if you don't think your son did it, but don't you dare compare this case to Emmett Till because your son is alive, and Emmett Till was brutally murdered. Second, (laughs) the second reason why it makes me so mad is, Jesse could have faced up to three years in jail, he's only serving five months, and then he has 30 months of felony probation where he is allowed to travel, he's not even on house arrest. He's allowed to report for probation by phone, a privilege that not many people who go to jail get. Sure, he didn't murder anyone, and sure, in theory, no one physically got hurt beside himself, But, assuming the evidence is true, and the jury believed the evidence to be true, Jussie made it seem less reliable when people report hate crimes. Hate crimes do happen, but now, if people do have a hate crime happen against them, and if they report it, there's likely going to be a perception that this, that maybe they're faking or falsely alleging a hate crime to get attention. And as I said, Jesse's family is running his Instagram account, and I just looked at it today. Today is Wednesday, March 16th, the day I'm recording this, and they post one to two posts per day. And in the post from today, his brother was watching a video of Chicago superintendent of police at the time, Eddie Johnson, during a press conference in 2019 talking about Eddie. He was like, okay, we're going to watch this video and then debunk these myths. And one of the myths that his brother apparently debunked is that the FBI conclusively concluded that the letter was not sent by Jesse and they proved that with DNA evidence. I looked really hard before I started recording for like 10 to 15 minutes and I cannot find anywhere where that was where that was proven to be true. I did see that Jesse gave evidence to the FBI to investigate the letter but I could not find anywhere either way showing that the letter was shown to be sent by Jesse or not to be sent by Jesse, or that DNA proved it one way or the other. The only thing I found was that Jesse's DNA was given to prove or not prove that the letter was sent by him, but I couldn't find a conclusion anywhere. So his brother is like, yeah, the FBI concluded it, and I'm not saying the brother's not saying the truth, but I don't know where he's getting that information from. Another thing he said in the video the brother is that the judge at the time of Jesse's sentencing believed that Jesse did it for attention and not for money. And so the brother's like, see, this shows he is innocent. But in my mind, I'm like, people can have different motivations for doing crimes. And just because someone believes someone had a different motive doesn't mean they still didn't do the crime. So I don't think that proves anything. Maybe the officer or maybe the judge believed that he did it for attention more than money. So he was like, while I don't believe necessarily the police's argument for the motive, I still think you did it. So again, I don't really think that proves a whole lot in favor of Jesse other than the judge had his own opinion, which everybody does. But the brother in the post from today did bring up one thing that I do want to bring up because I think it's important. Um, Chicago Superintendent Eddie Johnson, he he was the police superintendent at the time that Jesse was arrested. And later that year, he was called out for sexual harassment charges. And he eventually, I think like resigned, but it was basically like resign or get fired. And so his brother is like, the fact that this person was a shady character shows that he didn't do it. Again, I don't know if it shows that he didn't do it. I think it shows that there are potentially bad officers working in the Chicago Police Department and that there are maybe potentially bad officers working on the case. But I don't know if that proves that there was wrongful evidence that there was evidence tampering because from what I could find about why Eddie Johnson was basically forced out it wasn't because he falsified reports it wasn't because he tampered with evidence it was because he was being gross and sexually assaulting people which is horrible in itself but in this case I don't know how much relevance it holds because like the brother's trying to make the argument that because this person sexually assaulted people shows that the police work was bad or something. And I just don't know how you can draw that conclusion from this. It's like, yes, he was a gross person, yes, he sexually assaulted people, but does that mean he did a bad job at his police job with evidence? I don't think you can assume that without more evidence. And so his family is standing by his side, Jesse's family standing by his side. There are people on both sides of the argument saying that it's faked, um, there are people saying that it is not fake and he is wrongly in prison. This case is likely going to go to appeal or it's either going to be denied. We'll see. But his lawyers filed a notice of appeal already. So at the beginning of this episode, I talked about the important update and part of Jesse's Appeal is that Jesse's recent sentence violates the legal concept of double jeopardy because he had already surrendered a $10,000 bond and had performed some community service in 2019. So Jesse's defense lawyers are like the fact that he's in jail for the same thing that he was charged with in 2019 and he surrendered and paid some money and did community service, it violates double jeopardy. But prosecutors are arguing that those measures were voluntary. He didn't take a plea deal. There was no official like plea deal no court record or anything it was just like a voluntary kind of under the table deal and so it wasn't a legal punishment therefore it doesn't violate uh double jeopardy and so he shouldn't be out of jail but as of thursday march 17th 2022 jesse smollett is now out of cook county jail in illinois in another article i read some legal experts are weighing in saying that his release is potentially a good sign for his case. Maybe not that he is innocent of his charges, but rather that he shouldn't be in jail for the charges, and there's no statement that I can find as of now that says the evidence was bad, that he was wrongly convicted, It's just saying that he is now released from jail, but legal experts are weighing in in saying that because he was released from jail and the appellate court voted two to one for his release, that it is a seemingly good sign for Jesse's case. So that is the update I wanted to give you so that way you know when this episode is posted that is the most recent information that I can do at the time of posting without an update. And so now we're going to go back to my personal thoughts on this case and wrapping it up as it was recorded yesterday, March 16th, 2022. And until there are further updates, that concludes Jesse Smollett's Hate Crime Hoax. I already kind of interjected my opinions throughout the case, so I guess my opinion on the case at this moment is that based on the evidence, based on the jury's verdict, and based on the testimony, it seems to me like Jesse did fake it. Again, that is my opinion. Based on the evidence at this point, if more things come out, maybe my mind will be changed, but I do think it's telling that he, Jesse, said that he drove around the area a couple of days before the attack. I think it's telling that he already knew the brothers. What are the coincidence, or what is the coincidence that two people you know are going to hate crime you, call you a homophobic slur, a slur for a black person, while the two brothers themselves are also black? That doesn't make sense to me. Why would two people you know put a rope around your neck, attack you, beat you up, and leave you in the street. Why? It, it doesn't make sense. If it were two random people, I could, I would definitely be more on Jesse's side. But the biggest part for me is that he knew these two people, and these two people were also, also two black men that he had worked with, that he had a relationship with. Why would these people commit this hate crime? Why would these people do it unless it was staged? Again, my opinion based on the evidence as of now. And with that, we are going to dive into a personal scandal. This one is having to do with somebody who interacted with someone who committed a crime, but then interacted with the person after they had committed the crime, but before they were caught. So this person says, yeah, they acted normal. I had known them for a couple of years, and then one day after our weekly chess game, he was arrested for human trafficking his girlfriend, who I didn't like to start with, but it turns out that's because she was like 13 and 8 months pregnant, someone else's baby got adopted when we met. I was told otherwise BTW and constantly made fun of him dating an 18 year old in the first place. Like, we were too old for that, it's creepy and gross, but 18 is legal, so I let it go. Oh boy, well first of all, that is horrible. And I think it's interesting because if you have this friend and they're dating someone who is way younger, but they're like, yeah, they're 18. It's like, yeah, you're kind of being gross, but you wouldn't think that your friend would be a human trafficker. So (laughs) God, that's a horrible situation. Thank you for sending it in. And I don't even know what you would do in that situation. Like, who would you call? Would you call... The police and be like I'm suspicious of my friend's girlfriend because she looks young but he says she's 18 or she says she's 18 I don't know I just don't know how to how you would handle that situation but oh gosh well I'm glad he got caught that's good and on that crazy kind of well not kind of on that really gross note I am going to wrap it up thank you so much for tuning in If you would like to stay up with the latest, I'm going to post some photos on social media relating to this case. On Instagram at scandal101podcast, on Twitter at scandal101pod, on Facebook search scandal101podcast, you'll find us there. The website is scandal101podcast.podbean.com, you can find the show notes there as well as in the episode description. And then if you have your personal scandal that you want to be read on the podcast, please send that to scandal101podcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. This episode is probably going to have a follow-up update episode. I hope I presented the evidence in a way to where you can make up your mind as to what happened and you can come to your own conclusions based on the evidence. At this time, my opinion is that the jury came to the right conclusion, but... We shall see what happens going forward. This has been episode 44 of Scandal 101.